listener production. You are listening to episode 92 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring former international cricketer and wonderful broadcaster, Isha Gur. Onwards. Television. When did you first take your steps into becoming the world's number one broadcaster that you are today? <laughs> you need to stop this, by the way. It's just too much. No, you love it. You know you love it and you know it and I know it, so I'm going to push on no, with it. No, <laughs> I don't love it. Stop it. The, I, I can tell um, you seriously, the amount of requests, you, you talked about the Australian audience, and I'll get back to that question, embracing you Um especially after your Triple M stint, which we'll get to. But the amount of people that have said, can you get Isha Gua on the show? Because we don't know a great deal about her, but we absolutely love her. Um, now I'm being serious with you for the first time in the podcast. <laughs> um, it's extraordinary how many people. The, the two people that I get asked the most about are you and Kerry O'Keefe. So they love you in this part of the world. So I don't say it lightly when I say, you know, you, you are one of the premier cricket broadcasters in the world. So wh- where did it start? Thanks, Howie. Um, just out of nowhere, really. I, so 2011, got a message on Twitter from a guy from ITV, which is one of the, the broadcasters over here, saying, uh, we'd like to have a chat to you. I went in thinking, oh, you know, the IPL's coming up. Maybe they just want me as a pundit. Um, their former presenter, Mandira Bedi, uh, was pregnant, so... They needed a different presenter, so they they asked me if I wanted to do it. I was like, great, um, happy to embrace it. Never done it before, like I'd never done it before. So I was just like, cool. Um, lack of expectation, but probably had the potential to make myself look very stupid but I just as I said just embraced it went in for a screen test they were happy I did a couple of weeks um with a fellow co-presenter Matt Smith who has has subsequently done quite a lot of cricket he does a lot of football back home polished amazing broadcaster incredible to be able to sit next to him and learn um and (laughs) man I could not watch that coverage back for like a good two or three years because it was just horrendous. Like I was so wooden, didn't know which camera to look at. The only thing that got me through was my cricket knowledge. And that's where I kind of backed myself and that's where they kept asking for me back. Um, But it was literally a couple of weeks in the year. Um, I was actually still playing then. Um, So really it just was like a, it was an experience thing more than anything. I actually ended up getting paid more than I did throughout the whole of the year eventually um just through doing you know two or three works uh, two or three weeks work so it was it was a real eye opener um and i just really enjoyed it i mean i've always had that inquisitive mind of wanting to know about a person and wanting to understand more about a person like i'm sure well i know you you have that Um, And as a broadcaster, it's really important to try and get balance to create debate. And that's all, you know, that's all that I've learned over the last few years. And and also, um, you know, what is the news story? What is the story of the day? And, and, you know, again, that's that's all the experience that I've I've got through all these opportunities. You know, on the back of that, 
I got to work in India. I got to present in um, in Dubai and then the CPL and then the commentary and and being able to work in TV and radio, I think has just been such a, an amazing education for for where I've kind of got to now. You mentioned you got paid more than you did to play cricket, which sparks in my mind. We mentioned right at the start, you and I in Dubai at a Masters tournament and we just kept going to work and we weren't getting paid. Have you been paid yet? Well, this is my question for you. Did you get your full freight or uh, is you still owed money by uh, a gentleman in Dubai? Because I'm still owed money, Isha. I've given it away. But now in these uncertain times when there's nothing to commentate and I've lost eight jobs, I might need to try and retrieve that somehow. Remember we just keep going to work. Have you been paid? No. Have you been paid? No. Mark Butch, have you been paid? No. And we're doing two games a day. We're working hard, We're doing it for the love of the game, Howie. Well, as it turns out, we were, Isha. But if I'd known that, I might not have gone and done it. I just felt for Danny Morrison in that situation because we literally, like you're not even exaggerating, 10 games in five days and he did every single toss. And by the end of it, I was like, Danny, I just feel so sorry. You're having to ask the same questions over and over and over again. So you're still owed money Uh, from that is what you're telling me? Um, I can't remember if I'm right. Well, I am. I know I am. I know I am. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think I may have been able to settle before. Well, I, can't I think remember. I think you had a big time sort of rock and roll manager who was sort of putting his heavies onto the heavies. <laughs> where I was like, I had no one to go into bat for me. Um. So when did it? When did you go from doing the IPL and, and all of a sudden? It's not all of a sudden, but it always seems that way with the journey. Become front and centre in the English summer, covering both the men's and the women's game. <clears throat> um, probably in the lo- only in the last couple of years, to be honest. And, and what was that like uh, when you made the transition, Ish, from off Broadway, for want of a better term, which is where everyone starts, to the main game? In what mm. is a really, it's the most traditional cricket broadcast on the planet when you watch the English test broadcasts. You've got always former English captains. They're always blokes. They're always so eloquent and beautifully spoken. But cricket in England is such a serious, serious game. It's done slightly differently in different places around the world. India, obviously, they like you to to talk a lot. In Australia, it's probably a bit more low-key. But the English mm. style of broadcasting is the most reserved, most old school I think there is. And here's yeah. you wandering into that commentary box. Through the covers, Steve Smith is back. His first test back after the ban and it's normal service resumes. Yeah, it's intimidating. There's no question of that. Um, but I, th- I think... Because my affiliation of, of with Sky has lasted, you know, 10 years really. So I, I first started doing some bits and pieces with Sky in 2010 and getting to know these guys eventually and slowly and being able to work with other broadcasters around the world and that gives you confidence. And then being able to present um, without auto cue, you know they're all stepping stones. Being able to do an outside broadcast, um, and you, you just slowly 
building your confidence really in, in different environments. And, you know, three years ago is when I first got the opportunity to work on a test match. And it was um, a, a test match with the Sky broadcast team, that is. Uh, and it was incredible. You know, obviously it was nerve wracking. Um, I actually ended up having two days notice for that because it was literally just a day that I was or two days I was coming in for and in a way because I didn't have much time to think about it I just went in and I just did it and it was fine um, but there is like you say there is a certain style to the sky broadcast and you're you're wanting to uh, you know prove that you should be there or that um, you are more than capable of holding your own. And um, so, you know, it was difficult initially. And I only probably felt part of that Sky team until last year um, when I was working with the guys. And and I still maintain that actually my time in Australia, you know, I'd, I'd had the pleasure of working with the BBC as well for a number of years. And radio broadcast, as you know, is, is slightly more relaxed. It's, um, you know, you can have a bit more fun with it. So... I really enjoyed those opportunities, but I still maintain that my turning point was was working in Australia and, and for Triple M. And um, as much as I really value your opinion, Howie, um, working with the likes of Adam Gilchrist and Shane Warne was massive for me and my confidence and just having their seal of approval that... I actually do know what I'm talking about and I can hold a conversation and I can, I can read the game, you know, was, was huge. Um, and that, you know, I, I feel like I can broadcast anywhere now. Um, in India as well, working with guys over there, Sunil Gavaskar and Shorov Ganguly and Ravi Shastri and again, getting, getting their kind of backing, I think, you know, it makes all the difference. And so, you know, while, it's great to to have and see so many women getting opportunities um, because it does add a different perspective. Um, I do obviously credit the, the guys that I've worked with because that has been really valuable to me. So what you're telling me, when we'd sit there in Florida or Dubai both finding our way and you'd ask me questions and I'd ask you questions, you absolutely paid bugger all what I said to you because I was 100 tests short of Warren and Gilchrist and Ganguly and Gaviscar. I think that's fair enough. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. I can't argue with that. Hey, what was, no, no. <laughs> no, I, 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 I take it. I, I take it on that, the chin. <laughs> that was more in a commentary sense. From a presenter <laughs> point of view, you are the man. Oh, you yeah. are the man. Uh, you've dug your hole now. Edge and taken. Tim Payne diving away to his left. That is number one. And it's James Patterson born into the attack. Has an impact straight away. I still pinch myself when I'm sitting there next to Kerry or, or Gilly or Warney and you're commentating on a test Those match. It's our little team meetings in the morning. You know, you get there and you sat there at eight o'clock in the morning whatever it is and you're there and you're looking around and it's Alan Border, Mark War, Warney, Binger, Gilly and we're all just there just finding out about what our, what's going to unfold that morning in the, the pre-show and it's like you look around and you're mm. like I'm looking at you because I'm like I know exactly how you're feeling. <laughs> exactly and and then when the international guys like when 
Wazim Akram walks in and you grew up listening in this part of the world, and I've discussed this with him with the 12th man, and, and he was Wazi Akrim, and all of a sudden he's sitting there, it's like Wazim Akram, and he's handing out bottles of his own aftershave <laughs> named 501 for his test wickets, and it's, it's like... It, and then he'll say, you know, Howie or Isha, what are you doing tonight? And it's, I do literally pinch myself. Less so you, I think, because you've played at that level. But it's um, it's hard to describe to people how fortunate you can feel in that situation. And when you remove yourself from it, think, how can I actually be sitting in the room with these guys and girls? That's why I can never understand why you still only have one drink before you go to bed. <laughs> Because, Isha, I'm a professional, unlike you, who embrace the Triple M lifestyle. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a, it is a bizarre thing, the, the thing that we get to do. What, what do you think? Um, I haven't been that serious with you, but in serious terms from broadcasting, what do you think the key is to being a good sports broadcaster? I think... Knowledge of your subject, um, understanding of your colleagues, and the ability to have fun. Yeah, I think I think once, you, I mean, disciplines are always important, um, and but that's like the I guess the basics, and then everything else is built around that. And um, remembering as a presenter, as a lead commentator, that you are not you are not the star there. It's it's about your your guests and the legends of the game and, and making sure you, you bring out the best in them and and try and keep it lighthearted. And I think I think we do that. I mean, I, I'd like to think we do that at Fox. I feel like we've all got our own different personalities and that really hopefully comes through on the broadcast and, and that ultimately makes people want to watch. Obviously they're watching the cricket. That's you know, that's the first thing that they're there for, but you know, we can we can add to that. And that's something that I actually learned a lot from watching you when you first started doing the Big Bash coverage at 10. That really came through. And I, I just really loved that style of broadcast. And I'm just, again, I say it a lot, but I am really just fortunate to be able to work with that now. More of Isha in a tick. The last episode of the show featured two-time AFL Premiership player with the Brisbane Lions and Premiership coach with the Geelong Football Club, Chris Scott. From the kind feedback you all sent my way at MarkHoward03 on social media and to the email, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's thehowiegames at hotmail.com. It seems you were blown away by Chris's in-depth descriptions about the life of a modern coach. Just say in my wildest dreams, I played... 64 games for Geelong, for example, and I got to the end of my fourth season and I'd had a few injuries, I wasn't getting into the game plan and you decide as a club that I can no longer play for your footy club. So you call me into your office. Howie, I need to speak to you. How do you have that conversation when you are putting on hold or ending a young man's dream? They're the worst conversations. Uh, and I, I don't think there's a great understanding for how the um, the process works within the modern footy club. I, I think it's it's perceived more as um, the way it worked 20 years ago when the, the coach was the one having that conversation, not only having the conversation but making the decision. 
those decisions now are much more shared across a group of people, even to the point where um, the final decision on who stays and goes um, is not mine. Dealing with some of our, and, and this sounds a little harsh for the 64 gamer, um, but they're easier than the 300 gamer who is so sure that he could play for another five years. Um, and some of those, some of those conversations, and it's not just a conversation, some of those, those, those series of conversations over a period of months have gone pretty close to breaking me at times. Sometimes I've just felt I'm, I'm not sure that it, it's worth it to, to carry this burden. But again, you know, you pretty quickly realise that it can't all be sunshine and rainbows. You got to, if you're going to have the good parts of the job, you got to accept the bad. That is Chris Scott on episode 91 of the show. Back to Ish. Um, Ish. Um, on a really serious note, uh, you had a really difficult time when you started at Fox because your dear mum got ill. And people wouldn't have realised because you were fronting up to work and doing an amazing job, but then, you know, we'd, you'd talk about it with, with your close colleagues that you'd be on your phone to your mum and she wasn't well and you were, you flew back and forth a couple of times and you lost your mum, which is still very raw to you. I can only imagine how difficult a time that was for you on the other side of the world. Yeah, Um It was it was a tough time. Uh, it's been a tough couple of years, to be honest. Um, but as I mentioned before, Mum was an incredible woman. She was super pragmatic about every situation. Um, there were a lot of things uh, to to think about in that particular scenario, and. You know, we were taking it day by day, trying to make decisions every day about everything that we were doing. Um, it was hard. And, you know, I I spoke to her at length about what the right thing to do was. I know my truth with her and what um, we felt the right thing to do was. And, you know, I, I was, I look at it and I think, you know, I was I was fortunate to have a lot of time with her which a lot of people don't necessarily get. Um, you know, I was with her day in, day out. Um, I was having to obviously manage the situation with coming to Australia and, and uh, you know, being able to embark on this new broadcast with Fox. Um, I didn't want to let um, Fox down. And so I really needed understanding from from... Um, my boss at Fox, my bosses, and um, I did get that understanding um, and from my colleagues as well, which, you know, I, I didn't want to kind of open up too much during that that first year because it was hard enough as it was and, and to be able to or to, to talk about it was, was probably a bit too emotional um, and I wanted to make sure that I was still being as professional as I could be on air. Um, but you know, while she was alive, we still had hope and we, that's all you can do. You can, you have hope. You're as strong as you possibly can be. She didn't want to know her timeline. And so I just carried on as, as, 
as normal as I could, um, making sure that she was getting everything she needed at home. And um, I, I still believe that, you know, she would, I still had hope that she would come through and, you know, we would have a miracle. Um, and it, the evenings were probably the hardest, um, but, yeah, we, we, um, you know, I was just glad that I could be there, um, for her at the end. Um, but she was, you know, she never once said that I shouldn't be in Australia. She never once said that, um, she wanted me to do it. And, um, I was again, very lucky with, um, rich that he could be around at times and we just kind of we made it work and we you know I flew back to to make sure we had Christmas together and um she was honestly the most incredible woman you could possibly meet just like yeah unbelievable um and honestly I there's there's absolutely no way I would be here without her so um yeah Honestly, just, yeah, very lucky. The way she handled herself throughout that whole illness was um, one of the most inspiring things I would have ever seen. So, um, yeah, I've I've definitely learned a lot from her. Ishi, descriptions of your mum are beautiful and spectacular in a way. The grief process, what have you learned and how did you deal with it? So... Initially, after everything happened, um, you know, it was a it was a difficult period, um, but I still felt like she was still there, and um, the grief kind of kicked in after a few weeks, to be honest, and and it really just smacked me in the face, like like I could not even imagine um, and I never expected because I just thought that like her, I would just be really kind of philosophical and pragmatic and, and just try and live how she lived. But it was, it was pretty tough because I, I basically just, I didn't care about anything. I just did not care about doing anything, um, let alone what was about to unfold that summer and, you know, working on the World Cup, working on the Ashes and all I wanted to do actually was just not do any of it and just go and just be somewhere else. Um, and to get back, I kind of, I went to the IPL and I had to see if I could basically work in broadcast and get excited about something when I just didn't feel like getting excited. Um, and I know you can empathize with being a broadcaster when <clears throat> you're not necessarily in the right mindset or the right headspace and you just have to go out and do a job. And, you know, that time in, at the IPL was, was really important. And actually the first person I saw when I got there was, was Michael Slater, and he was, he was brilliant, to be honest, um, just being away from home on tour and you see these people around the world and you're 
you're constantly thrown in a situation together where you're you're basically in a similar situation and you kind of rely on each other to help you get through things and just being able to see the guys again and and bump into Lisa and Mel and everyone along the way I think you realize what a a community and a family it is Um, and that while you're not quite in the right headspace it's just great to have those people around you who are all going through their own things um so I I came back and and decided okay I'm happy to do it but I I ended up just making myself as busy as possible just so I didn't have to think about it and Rich obviously was an unbelievable support um you know driving me from game to game just so I could prep in the car but also making sure I just wasn't alone at night because that was again when it was affecting me the most um and to get through the summer I I recognized that the only way to do it was to basically separate myself into two people which was one was dealing with grief and one was trying to be this persona on air and on camera and <clears throat> I had to admit to myself that I was trying, I was dealing with it. I was having to deal with it and it took a long while, but I did eventually go and see someone um, because it, it, I was just suppressing it all and not allowing it to come out in any sort of way because I was just trying to do a good job. So I didn't want it to come to the surface at all. And there were a couple of, again, moments along that summer where it just was so overwhelming that it it kind of um brought me to a really dark place and um uh uh there was an incredible amount of anxiety which I'd never experienced before um so I I recognized that I did need to go and see someone and um I recommend that to anyone who's going through a similar thing while you may be cynical about the process uh it was and I understand that it was very helpful because it allowed me to talk about things that I wasn't able to talk about with anyone else um just purely because I didn't want to burden anyone even rich so um that was sig- that was significant for me and it helped me get back to a certain level where I could be one person again, almost. You talk about anxiety. Like what what feelings of anxiousness did you have? Mm. Just not wanting to be around anyone. Um, so lots of people around me um, really struggled with that. And which I had never experienced before, ever in my whole life. I've always wanted to be with people. It it gives me a lot of energy. So that was, that was pretty scary. And, and, um, it was an overwhelming feeling of not being able to cope, I think, um, which I've perhaps had in the past, but not to that, not to that extent. So, you know, these, these were all feelings of grief and, um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that, you know, I am in a much better place now and, um, I can talk about it, um, which, you know, probably wasn't able to do before. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it and I'm happy to 
uh, acknowledge that 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 happened and it's something that everyone goes through um, and it's um, it's a process. It's interesting you say because we talked about doing this podcast a while ago and you were like, I'm just not sure how I'm going to do that with everything going on about my mum at the time. And then you contacted me uh, just before the World Cup when I was in Costa Rica and you said, I'm right to do the, the podcast now. And I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder what the shift has been. Um, and I'm glad you, you've gone through it and I'm glad you're sharing it because people will listen to this and they'll deal with it and be going through things and your suggestion that people go and get help is a very, very valid one. What was your low point, Ish, if you don't mind me asking? When was the world caving in on you? <clears throat> For want of a better term. Yeah. Um, there were There were a few there. Um, I think when you're alone in your thoughts and you're thinking about why something's happened and you are thinking very irrationally about things, it can spin you into and spiral you into a really kind of dark, dark uh, spot. And and really, nothing, nothing matters in that moment. Um, a few kind of periods where you kind of yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't, you know, that I can I can think of them clearly, but I probably couldn't explain exactly what I was feeling in those moments, but what helped me through those 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 periods were the kindness of others and uh, it's something that I've heard a lot from a very close friend of mine, um Kath Goshal, who's been through a tremendous amount and she actually just she is my rock, she's a, a real strength as is Rich. Um but she talks about that the kindness of others whether it was you know just a smile or someone lending a helping hand or or whatever it was and that that kind of shook me out of that kind of little place that I was in at that time um and you know everything else is a distraction you know when you're when you're working and you know you want to obviously do a good job but that that is very much a distraction from where you're at um in your head and I think it's important to know that while you will never that feeling will not that feeling will not go away but you just learn to deal with it better and again it's something that I heard a lot from people who were going through grief and um, you know it's it's just something you learn to live with going forwards but it does get easier and you know I hear this all the time from people who have who've been through stuff but you can only say that once you know you've kind of experienced it and I, I definitely believe that now Where, whereas I probably didn't feel like there was an end to it initially. Hey, Ish you've been so great with your time 
we are lucky to have a lot of kids listen to this show that may want to grow up and do something wonderful in life as you have done in a couple of different fields. Well, three really when you consider you're a rocket scientist as well, as well as a cricketer and a broadcaster. What advice would you give to the young ones that are listening to this hoping to succeed in life? Wow. It's a tremendous <laughs> responsibility in that question, isn't there? <laughs> yes. Um, to succeed in life, be open. Okay. What do I think? So be open. I think knowledge is key. I think whatever you want to do in life, I think it's important to to learn about it and to just just start doing it. I mean, there's you've just got to make you got to make that leap and just that's all I've ever tried to do. Whenever I've wanted to try something, I've just gone into it, you know, and just jumped into it, even if it might make me look like a fool. I'm probably a bit, you know, I'll step cautiously these days, but um, yeah, I I would just try and embrace every every opportunity, um, try and experience everything life has to offer because we're only here once. And kindness, I think, if you can find a way to be kind when the world isn't giving you much or um, people are being nasty or you just don't feel that great about yourself, it really can just transform you. So that's, that's quite a big one. That is a beautiful, beautiful answer from a wonderful, wonderful lady. This is going to test you because you talked about how reluctant the rock star is in the house. Are we just wasting our time to ask Rich to play something for us on the Howie Games? Um, potentially, but he does have a single coming out. There you go. What so is... you could just play that. Well, let's get him to do that. You know what he's like. I know, I know. Tell him how many people listen to this show. It's good to deliver him a gold record, this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Babe. Babe, you're going to play some tunes? Please, Rich. Is that okay? I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little tinker. Yeah, perfect. You all right? Here you go, Howie. There's a little tune for you. What's it called? Uh, this one's called This Bloom. Okay. I'm going to sit back and listen, and the Howie Games audience will as well. Oh, stranger here Conversations in regrets And a howling at the moon Always raining here Some say it's gonna pass But I know it won't be soon 
astounds me thank you so much mate oh thanks ali that was outstanding yeah you crashed your party well it's a better with a party <laughs> three thank you mate i appreciate it i could see ali you too brother isha thank you so much for taking me through your life's journey what's it been like to reflect on it all um gee you've got a good story i really really appreciate it no i appreciate appreciate you having me on howie um I've obviously listened to quite a few of your podcasts. So, uh, yeah, just uh, an honour to be on here with you. And, yeah, just um, I, 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 it sounds, literally I sound like a broken record when I say I just, 
just feel so privileged to have done what I've done and the, the people that I've met along the way, including yourself. And honestly, just so many incredible moments along the way. So um, yeah, loving it, loving it. And um, here's to more good times. Yeah, stay safe and I hope to see you in person soon. Thanks so much for joining me on the Howie Games. Cheers, Ledge. Wow. Isha and Rich, what a phenomenally talented couple they are. Thanks to Rich for taking the time to record this bloom for the show. It is a great, great tune, as you just heard. And to Isha, on a serious note, she hasn't talked about her grief before publicly. I thought it was a really brave thing for her to do to open up in that way, especially because she did it with the aim of helping others who are dealing with similar emotions. This is a great, great woman, is Ishigua. I loved also her views on kindness. They really struck a chord with me. Hopefully they did with you. Thanks to Das for pulling it all together as per usual. Hope you guys and girls enjoyed the episode. Until the next episode with F1 guru, Martin Brundle, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Try, try, try Listener